Stand by for the Terry Saul Show. Five, roll tape. Four, cue Terry. Three, bring audio up. Two, stand by. One, play intro. Stay tuned for the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. Are you in the market for a new car? Well, if so, I encourage you to do what I do. Head down to Lule's Car Connection. Lule's has been selling quality vehicles for over 30 years. Lule's brokers any new vehicle selling within dealer invoice. Check this out. Lule's has financing with most major lenders and credit unions. So do what I do. Stop by Lule's Car Connection located at 2055 Mission Street in Salem and tell them Saltissimo sent you. Lule's Car Connection. Well, good morning, and welcome to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and I'm so glad that you joined us. Today's special guest from the Polk County Sheriff's Office, Detective John Williams. Good morning, sir. How are you? Morning. I'm fine. Now, how long have you been with uh, Polk County? Uh, since 1999. I started as a reserve, got hired full-time in 2006, promoted to detective in 2011. So you just kind of worked your way through the uh, the ranks. I did. When it's, are you going to become the uh, sheriff? I'll leave that to the sheriff. There you go. What do you do over there? Investigate homicides, uh, sex crimes, property crimes, if it's significant enough to go to detectives. Uh, basically, being that investigative resource for patrol. If things get over their head, they can come to us for help, or we take over their, their how, case. How, how big of a department is that, Polk County Sheriff's? Uh, we have about 18 sworn deputies that work patrol, and probably 25 in the jail. I've got to tell you, I have a confession to make. My wife and I are hooked on the first 48 hours. Okay. Have you ever watched it? Oh, yeah. We are hooked on it. During this summer, when all of our other good shows were not on... We would tape it, and we would watch two, three, four episodes a night, and we're hooked on it. So now because of that, we know everything in law. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing, uh, and I've, I've gone on a couple of ride-alongs over the years. It's amazing what you see in an evening. It is. And it is. you're right now working on the cold case investigations? How- uh, part of my duties is to oversee the, our cold case team. So a lot of agencies uh, throughout the nation, they have a dedicated unit to work on those cases that have just kind of sat on the shelf for for years sometimes because they've either exhausted all investigative leads, you know, for, for one reason or another, the case went cold. You know, the active investigators have moved on to other cases. And so that's why they're called cold cases because they're, they're not hot anymore. So what our team does is they'll take a look at some of our older cases and see if there's new technology they can make use of, maybe new DNA, uh, fingerprinting, or just kind of from a, at least an arc cold case team, not everyone is retired law enforcement. So they bring a different set of eyes to reading the case, you know, what was in the case. So you get someone with a completely different perspective to say, hey, you know, I saw this in there. Did we ever try this? You know, kind of give us some new ideas. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But that's the whole idea behind a cold case team is to take another look at the case that went cold. How many years does it take to become a cold case? Well, generally, it, it can be a year or it can be longer than that. The, the The whole point is the case goes cold when all investigative leads that we can think of have been exhausted. And we followed up on everything we can think of. We don't see any further avenues for us to go down. 
So then at that point, the case goes cold. And I think in our policies, the case has to be at least a year old. You're not going to open up a burglary case from 10 years ago because statute of limitations is up. Generally, cold case teams are investigating homicides or missing persons because the statute of limitations will never run out. So there is no statute of limitations on a homicide then? Correct. I mean, how about like a rape? Rape. In the last decade, the statute of limitations has been lengthened. It used to be three years because all felonies were three years. Well, now it's not very long. Not, but that that included you know major thefts, things like that. So years ago, maybe a dozen years ago, the legislators decided let's make sex crimes. If it happened when the person was under eighteen, then they can report it until they're thirty years old. Oh, really? Yeah. So minimum of twelve years. You know, okay. if this was a child that was 10, they've got 20 years to disclose because that's that's the way a lot of these work. Child or young adult, it takes a number of years for them to process what's happened to them and be able to finally report what's happened. But same thing with, with adults. You know, they've got, I think it's six years on, uh, you know, adult rape cases and then longer if if it was a okay, minor. so how many how many current detectives do you have right now working cases? Not cold cases, just working period. We have we have two detectives in um, the general detective, and then we have one uh, who's on a uh, specialty detail uh, working particular set of crimes. Okay, so let's just say you have three. Then you're working you're working a homicide that happened today, six months from today. You're still working that homicide, but then there's something else that happens. If you only have three officers, you know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. There's, if, you, if you only have three officers, what do you, what do, you do with uh, this one from today? Yeah, I'll let you on a secret. There is always something else that happens. I had a couple of weeks ago, I had my whole week planned out of some things I needed to get done. Boom, get called out on a homicide in West Salem. And there goes my next two, three weeks. That's that's all I'm working on. And everything else just kind of gets put aside. Okay, it's, so if you're working on that for the next two or three weeks, during that two or three weeks, now all of a sudden, boom, you got another homicide. You don't have the manpower to, to deal with each one separately, do you? Well, yes and no. Fortunately, we haven't had a situation where we've had two homicides in the same month. That's when However, you start, that's when you get up and say, knock it off, people. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get caught up here. But what we do make use of is our Polk County Major Crimes Team. And so we'll, we'll, we'll activate that Major Crimes Team, which includes investigators from the state police, Dallas, Monmouth, Independence. Okay. So we, we pull these resources of investigators together, kind of lighten the burden. You know, the, the agency who has jurisdiction is always going to be the lead in a, in a homicide. However, they're going to have lots of resources to do the little things that always need to be done on a homicide. So you guys do do work with each other then? Because our good friend Larry Crompton, who you and I both know, uh, was telling us when they were talking about the East Bay uh, rapist years ago, the agencies wouldn't talk to each other like they do now. And one agency wouldn't know that the other one's working a case. Is that That's no longer the case, is it? For the most part, it is not. Uh, I work well with all the other investigators in the county. You would have to. Yeah, and I, I know from talking with Larry, that was a major point of frustration that they, they kind of wanted to keep their cases to themselves and not share these details when that's what would have helped put this together decades ago. Why, why do you think that is? That was the case back then. Was it ego? It, it might be part ego, but it was 
Um, that's our case, and we'll that's take our, care of yeah, it. Yeah, and, and maybe they're not thinking outside the box and, and thinking, you know, another agency might have similar cases, and maybe they've got the, the piece that helps us, uh, us solve ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way our thinking is now. Like on the homicide from a few weeks ago, one of my tasks was to reach out to Salem Police, Marion County Sheriff's Office, Kaiser PD, to see if they've had, there was a particular kind of, crime we were looking to see if maybe our subjects were involved in so it was just me calling another detective saying hey do you do you have anything like this in the last couple months and if if they said no but if they would have said yes i I know they would have shared the details with us right when when we're watching uh the first 48 hours and i'm probably going to refer to this many times during this course of this hour here but the police officers will pull up on a scene of a homicide where there's the guy's out in the middle of a field, and he's shot dead. And yet they'll they'll keep searching and looking and finding things. It's amazing how you can just piece it together, and all of a sudden you have a suspect. Yeah. What, what people don't realize is there's a—and actually one of our former detectives has this on his email signature. It's a low-cards low exchange principle. Uh, Locard was a French scientist back centuries ago who said that anytime you go into a scene— you, you take something in there as well as remove things from the scene. Uh, meaning so, what? I'm not, I'm not following you on that one. Meaning um, if I'm going to walk into a crime scene, everything that's on my feet, I'm taking in there. So I might be Got it. taking trace evidence into a scene. And then when I come out, I'm going to take stuff that was in the scene. I'm taking it out with me. So we always have to be. That's why you make one certain path in and out, and you mark that path so that everybody that goes in the scene and everybody that comes out is using the same path, and we can be assured that everything outside of that path was the way it was when we got there. Let me let me ask you just a hypothetical. You you get a call of a, of a shooting. You pull up to the apartment, and there's somebody in the bedroom shot. What's the first thing you're going to look for? Are you looking at the crowd that's gathered around the street? Are you looking at the structure? Of the, what, what's the first thing you're looking for? Well, this is assuming maybe medics already pronounced this person deceased, so we know we have a homicide. First thing that we're going to do is, and it's probably going to be patrol deputies that, that show up first, is they're going to tape off that scene as big as they can make it. We can always make it smaller, but we can't make it bigger. So right. let's go as big as we can and secure that scene. And then we start recording Everybody that goes in there, whether I go in there or the sheriff goes in there, everybody's written down on a crime log. You know, we're going to photograph the scene on that as well. But as far as the scene itself, we're going to take a meticulous look and slow down, make sure everything's documented. We're going to have to wait for the district attorney to show up and the medical examiner anyway. So we've got a little bit of delay time waiting for those things to happen. Who's in charge? Ultimately, on a a couple people in charge. The person in charge of the the captain or the lieutenant will appoint one of the detectives to be the lead, and everything goes through that detective. Okay, because on forty eight hours, it's always Perkins. <laughs> He's always in charge. You you are in charge of some cold cases, and we've only got about two minutes left on this. <clears throat> excuse me, segment. What are the oldest cold cases you have? One that that we just we, we took another look at it. Over the last year, um, we finally put it back on the shelf as a cold case. That was from 1990, and that was a woman's body who was dumped over on Wallace Road in 1990. The medical examiner 
determined she died of a drug overdose. So it was unknown whether it was accidental or was this just a body dump and maybe she died of an overdose. But we took another look at that. But, you know, you're going back 30 years. 30 years. And uh, so by that time, a lot of the number of people that we, we may have wanted to talk again had died. That's kind of one of the risks in cold case investigations is people have died since you know, the investigation began. So that can be a hindrance. One that we'll talk about later uh, is 25 years old. And we have another one that's approaching just just past 17 years. So the one that we were talking about earlier with, with uh, Officer Larry Crompton there, um, that one's going back into the, what, 70s? 70s, yeah. And they caught this guy 40 years later? Yeah, that was incredible. He was still alive? Still alive. Yeah. And what, what I remember Larry telling us, interesting enough, that is that, they caught him through a DNA that his daughter had sent away to see who her relatives were. Yeah, what they what they had was they had DNA in the form of semen preserved all these years. You know, yeah. they collected it in the seventies, but they didn't have much to do with it back right. then. All they had was what the, what blood type is it? That's all they could tell from from biological evidence back in the seventies. So they preserved that. And then now they're able to develop a DNA profile from that. And, of course, they got no hits. Uh, so what they did is they tried a new technique on it. And let's match, try to match this with family hits in a genealogical type way. And that's they finally got a hit on his daughter, uh, which led them to him. All right. We need to take a quick break here. We come back more with Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. More in just a moment. Stick around. We're just getting warmed up. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. You know, when it comes time to move into a new home, it's time to consider Don Lule Homes. The Lule difference is simply setting the bar for quality service in Salem. Find out today about custom-built new homes. Don Lule Homes offers open floor plans, quality craftsmanship, and over 50 years of excellent experience in new construction. Beautiful homes are coming soon. Call today and ask for Erica at 503-428-699. Nine two Don Lule Homes. insurance get the very best coverage with state farm agent Teresa lule in salem state farm keeps you and your family covered with great auto insurance that's also a great value visit online at teresalule.com or on facebook better yet stop in the offices at 890 commercial street southeast in salem or call 503-378-1100 Back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. You're listening to the Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. Welcome back. You're listening to the Terry Saul Weekend Show. We're talking with Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office, and we're talking about cold cases. What is the uh, what is the composition of the cold case team? 
So we have a rather unique cold case team in Polk County. We have a couple of uh, retired former law enforcement, but we also have several forensic psychologists who are retired. And then we have one of the nation's only forensic podiatrists, so he can tell you a lot about feet, footprints, shoe prints, what kind of amazing stuff that you wouldn't think you could get from a single footprint. If these people are all retired, why are they coming back to work? They just want to... It's in the blood? Yeah. They just want to help out. One of our forensic psychologists, he used to be a reserve with us. And he was also on a couple of our other volunteer units. They're on search and rescue. They're also certified man tracking experts. And they give trainings all over the Northwest of being able to go into a crime scene, look at the different differences in the ground and broken limbs and leaves. It's just amazing what how they can say you're... One guy went off this way. After all these years, After, they're able no, to determine No, that? you want to call them out as soon as you can. Okay, okay. Um, but they're really good about being able to look at sign. They call it sign and find out where somebody would have went from one point to another. Well, right before COVID, we started to network with other cold case teams in Oregon and developed a, an association under the Oregon Peace Officers Association of cold case units. Mm-hmm. And we were having regional meetings every three months where we could come together, talk about successes, talk about our cases that we have, again, to get new eyes, new ideas to look at some of these cases and and hopefully move them along. But, does, that, does that help to get a fresh set of eyes? Does that really help a lot? It does. It does. You know, sometimes us in law enforcement, we get tunnel vision. We're, we're looking at, you know, maybe we get fixated on a particular suspect. Someone else will come in and is like, you know, you get, did you ever look at this guy? Well, why did you say that? Well, think about this, this, and this. There's the new eyes looking at it. You know, we're focused here. Maybe we're not picking up what we should over here and just so either eliminate it or... You're not, you're not getting the investigators that say, you know what, this is my case. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. I don't need your information. We have offered the use of our cold case team to consult with other agencies, which they've done a couple times, and they're doing okay. one right now. But again, you have that possessive mentality of this This is my case. I don't want, I don't know, they, maybe they don't want other teams to take credit. We're not looking for credit. We're looking to solve to the help. case. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right. Tell me about a cold case. What do you got working? So we had a case from 2012 where we had a, <clears throat> a body, a male body found in the Willamette River. We had, back then they didn't take, I'm sorry, it was 2002. Back then they didn't take DNA at autopsy, which like they do now. So all we had were two thumbprints uh, that they took from the body during the autopsy. They had two thumbprints. That was it. We didn't have as you know, no fluids, no no bodily fluids to develop DNA later. So we were really stuck. There were no missing persons reports uh, that matched who we thought our guy was as far as age and, you know, location. It kind of just went, again, it went cold. Um, but we had indications from someone on scene that they saw someone mumbling, walking out into the river, kind of like, and then just went under. Kind of like maybe it was a suicide. He was mumbling something about family, and he just walked out in the river and, and went under. And so we weren't treating it totally as a homicide, but we wanted to certainly ID this person and let their family know. We consulted with a, a, the Cold Case Foundation, which is out of Utah. That was started by a couple of gentlemen that used to be with the FBI's BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit. And they came out, consulted on this case and said, hey, the FBI's got this new fingerprint technique. Send your your thumbprints to them. 
and it took about three months, and we got the hit out of Illinois and Florida, and I was able to call the guy's sister and say, hey, are you related to so-and-so? And And she's like, yeah, but I haven't heard from him since about 2000. You know, my fear was she was going to answer the phone. I was like, yeah, he's right here. You want to talk to him? (laughs) Would have blown away our, you know. But she's like, she confirmed that she hadn't seen him since before his body was found. Was there any, did you ever find out why? No, no, because they lost track of him. He was kind of homeless. They don't know what would have brought him out to Oregon. However, uh, by the end of that week, the remains which we had in our evidence building, had been returned to the family. By the end of that week, we arranged wow. with the funeral home, shipped them out there. And so it was a, a real positive end to that, even though anytime someone right. dies, it's right. horrible. But uh, at least we brought some answers to the family who had no idea what happened to him. So how did, how did you determine to open that case up again? It had gone cold on you. Right, it had gone cold, <clears throat> and um, then somebody told you hey, about this fingerprint program, and you thought, well, wait a minute, we didn't check the fingerprints on this guy. Well, we had checked them, but they were only checked in Oregon. Okay, that's typically what was done. We felt like the guy was from Oregon. I mean, who's going to show up at Wallace Park? Right, and so when we didn't get a hit on Oregon, uh, which is a standard for you know, what the crime lab will do for us. We made that request again and say, let's check this nationwide through the FBI's, I think they call it next generation system. And that's when we got the hit out of Illinois and Florida. Amazing. Yeah. That is that is amazing there. We've got about a, a minute left. Um, on our next segment, you're going to talk about another case. What's that all about? <clears throat> so this was a case from 1996 where the remains, skeleton, <clears throat> skeletonized remains of a female were found in the woods going out toward the coast. And she had no ID. Her DNA didn't make any hits. We had no idea who she was for 23 years. And wow. And uh, we were finally able to move that case along and ultimately make an arrest. All right. We'll hear about that in just a moment. We need to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guest, Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. More in just a moment. Stick around. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. Are you in the market for a new car? Well, if so, I encourage you to do what I do. Head down to Lule's Car Connection. Lule's has been selling quality vehicles for over 30 years. Lule's brokers any new vehicle selling within dealer invoice. And check this out. Lule's has financing with most major lenders and credit unions. So do what I do. Stop by Lule's Car Connection located at 2055 Mission Street in Salem and tell them Saltissimo sent you. Lule's Car Connection. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. 
Stay tuned for The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Holmes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. We're back. This is the Terry Saul Weekend Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host. Today we are talking with Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. And we are talking about cold cases. These are always fascinating. And uh, what is interesting to me, and I was teasing you about this when you came in there, I said, where's your papers? (laughs) And you pointed to your head and said, it's all right here. Do you think about a lot of these cases all the time? Well, the, the case we're about to talk about, it's all I've done basically for the last two years. Okay. And this goes back to 1996? 96. Okay. What's going on? So September 1st, 1996, there were some guys out bird hunting in the hills outside of Dallas, and they came across a skull. Dallas, Oregon? Dallas, Oregon. Okay. And they came across a skull. And so they, you know, cell phones back then, so they had to go back home or to a phone. They called in the sheriff's office and reported it. And one of our patrol, of which we had one working that day, he responded uphill from where the skull was. They found a tarp, a blue tarp, wrapped around the remains of a of a female that had been skeletonized. And Since so, 1996. Oh, no, it had probably been longer than that. Well, and, and that, was, that was part of the questions. How long had she been here? Okay. And the medical examiner determined it was a matter of months to a year. Okay. Um, because you've got animals, scavengers right, right. that kind of accelerate decomposition. So we weren't quite sure, but we felt it was fairly recent. So he, that deputy, became detective, took that case with him. He had that case till 2013. When he retired, I took the case over. And we really hadn't made any progress. We, we had put out stuff in the media saying we've got these unidentified remains. We don't know exactly how she died. But we know she didn't wrap herself up in a tarp and put herself up in the woods. So we're considering this a homicide. But where do you start when you don't know who this person is? Let me ask you, stop you right there for a second. On the television shows, of course, I know this is television, but on the television shows, somehow they can do whatever they have to do to come up with an actual face on that. Is that television show or is that something that really happens? No, we actually did that. Um, one of the first things he did was he sent the skull off to a, to a woman who makes clay models. Right. She made one for us. We put it out in the news. No significant tips on that. Uh, when I took the case over in 2013, one of the first things I did was contact our state anthropologist and said, can we maybe make new sets of models. And she's like, I got a great person, Clackamas County Sheriff's Office, put out these beautiful sketches. And we put those out in the news. No tips again. And it just kind of, you know, her DNA was in the system. But the problem is she's not out there making new DNA to be, you know, collected by investigators because she's deceased. She's not out making new DNA. So when we didn't get a hit initially, it, it was bleak that we would ever get a hit. After the Golden State Killer technique that was used with the genealogical DNA, I was contacted by a woman uh, named Yolanda McClary early 2019. I knew who she was. Um, she was on the, sh- the show Cold Justice for a number of years, which so I knew who she was. She said, here's my idea for a new TV show. I want to use the Golden State Killer technique not to identify suspects, to identify victims. And the state anthropologist had already told Yolanda that we had a really good test case for that. So we were able to send a bone off, get the DNA from it, 
and start doing the research on the genealogical websites, Ancestry, you know, for probable family hits to Our Lady. And pretty quickly, we start getting third cousin hits. To this day, I can't tell you exactly what a third cousin is, but I know to get all the family members in a family tree of third cousins, you have to go to great, 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 great grandparents. And that's a lot of people. So how do you sort through these? Well, we start getting hits in this family. We start getting hits in this family. So now we got to find what's the common couple that puts these families together. And when we had 10 different hits on these third well, cousin that's going to take level. some time to do. <clears throat> it did. You're not, not going to do that overnight. No, but the nice thing is Yolanda, the, the network, was paying for all of this, both the, the DNA and the genealogical uh, research teams, which that's what really adds up the money because those, you know, it takes a huge amount of time. And it actually took us about 10 months and they would feed me names. Hey, call this person and see if they know so-and-so. And so I made probably two or 300 phone calls really? trying to ferret out information or confirm information. September 11th, 2019, I was able to find Our Lady's sister. And, of all days. Uh, yeah. And it just it just accelerated that day. From the start of the day, I didn't know who she was. And then I just kept getting these little pieces of information. I found her adopted brother in Southern Oregon. I found her sister. Her sister provided her DNA. A couple weeks later, we had confirmed it was a biological sister to our deceased. And so now we know we have the right person. So now we have a place to start. Because before this, where do you start? We don't yeah, even know who she yeah. is. Well, now we do. So her adopted brother was able to tell us that she was married at least three times. And I know she was married to this guy, gave us his name, this guy. And the last guy, he didn't know the name, but he knew that this person, he had heard that this person had committed murder in the 70s and went to prison and then got out uh, and they got married. And so it didn't take too much research on my part to figure out who this guy was. And what was interesting or notable was we knew we never had a missing persons report that matched our bones. We also couldn't find any divorce information for her and this this guy whose name is out in the public. It's uh, Brian Clifton. That told us two things. He didn't report her missing because maybe he doesn't want her to be looked for. Right, right. He didn't file for divorce because she can't respond. How's she going to respond to a divorce? So, so we started doing research on him. Where did he go? Where's, you know... Well, what we found out is a month after the bones are found, he gets married to another lady. Hmm. We find out he moved out of state right after that, right after the, about the time the bones are found, he moves out of state and gets married to someone else, has a kid with her nine months later. So there's possibly a motive there. What state, was, get he, rid of the, what state did, was he in? He went to South Carolina. Okay, can you go after him there? Well... He, or am I jumping ahead here? Yeah, you're jumping okay, ahead. Okay, go ahead. He, so he, he married this new lady, had a kid with her, but that all speaks in our minds to motive. You know, he got to get rid of this wife because he wants to be with somebody else. Then they moved up to New Hampshire. Then they moved back to Portland where his parents lived. They stayed there for a few, and then they moved back to New Hampshire. And then the last I saw, he was currently living in Oklahoma, of all places, which our victim's name was Kathy Thomas. That's what she was born as in Oklahoma. He has no ties to Oklahoma that I could find. Why is he in Oklahoma now? Well, we find out later. But so we make this we make this TV show and we go talk to Kathy's sister, Kathy's adopted brother. We find Kathy's three adult children who she lost to adoption when they were little. 
she wasn't able to take care of them and lost them to the state of Oklahoma where she went to visit her sister. And then they Were got they a, his children? No, they weren't his okay. children. Okay. It was from her first two marriages. Okay. And <clears throat> so she loses them to the state of Oklahoma. They get adopted out. They had no clue what happened to their mom. And so during the filming, uh, we went to Oklahoma to meet specifically Kathy's sister, but I knew that her two daughters lived in, in the nearby area. So I, once I got to the hotel, when I flew down there, I just cold called one of the daughters and, you know, one of the, out of the two or 300 phone calls I made before, I had a lot of people hang up on me, you know, the scams, you know, people think, oh, you know, you're not really a detective. They, a lot of them didn't believe me. So now I, how do I get through to this, this lady that I'm legit? So the first thing I told her was, I'm a detective from Oregon, and I'm calling about your mom, Kathy. That did it immediately, because as far as she knew, no one knew her mom's real name right, or her real mom's name. So she agreed to meet with me the next day, and then we were able to reunite the two daughters with the aunt who lived an hour away. They didn't know it. So that moment where we introduced them, that was pretty special for me because you don't often get something positive out of a homicide right right so that was great and i still i'm still in contact with them all the time we've kind of grown close but what happened to him so we knew the show was coming on in january of this year so we wanted to try to talk to him before it aired so we go out right before christmas last year and find him in oklahoma talk to him for about four hours and he didn't course he didn't confess but we caught him in some lies that you know might not look good for him but we also served a search warrant to get his dna because at the scene there was some dna and some clothing that was left behind near the body we suspected that might be his dna okay so we get the dna developed it took eight months to get that dna profile because the state lab is a lot slower than a private lab and we we didn't have uh the money to pay for the DNA at a private lab. So we go back in July, we talked to him for six more hours, and then we, we got the DNA back that matched. So his DNA is now at the scene. And so we go back in August, we start talking to him. Within 30 minutes, he confesses to killing her and dumping her body up there. So he was arrested uh, Labor Day. He gets extradited to our jail, and that's where he sits right now awaiting trial. Wow. And, and it we need to take a commercial break here, but just like on television, you got to take a commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> that is, what an amazing story. Oh, and I, and I left out so much. I, yeah. I just kind of hit the high points. And he so. was cooperative with you. He, he, he talked he, with you. and he, Yeah, he never, I mean, he would get quiet at times, but uh, he never once said, I don't want to do, I don't want to talk to him anymore. He, 16, 16 hours we talked to him. Don't you hate it when they say, I want to talk to a lawyer? goes with the job. That means everything stops at that point, right? Yeah. Okay. We need to take a short break. Uh, I'm telling you, this is better than the first 48 hours. <laughs> it's live here. We'll be right back in just a moment. Today's show being brought to you by the Lule Group. Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance, and Lule's Car Connection. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. 
You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We are back with our final few minutes. Today's guest has been Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. We're talking about cold cases. And on that last case we were just talking about, that's all documented in a television show. Is that what you were telling me? Yeah, it's a show called The Jane Doe Murders. It's on the Oxygen Network. Okay. And they were going to make a a series out of it. But ours was the first one they filmed, and, and it took pretty much two years to actually film it to the point where they could actually air something. So... They actually canceled the, the series after our episode, but it's it's still up. Who paid for that? Well, NBC owns owns Oxygen. So, okay. But we had researched this kind of technique before the show approached us, and we realized it was going to cost uh, upwards of $100,000, and we just weren't going to be able to afford it. So without the show, I don't know if we certainly wouldn't be where we are now. So we're, we're very appreciative to the resources that they brought because they paid for absolutely everything from the DNA to the research and on. So, so if, if they hadn't stepped up to the plate there, then you guys probably would not have solved this? Well, I, I won't say that because I know the state anthropologist, she she received a grant right after we uh, identified our, our body Okay, that was going to pay for this kind of process for 10 cases throughout Oregon. And she certainly would have picked ours because she knew our case. But it's not just the DNA process, you know, the actual science part of it. It's the genealogical research that also needed to be done that I don't know how much of the grant was going to pay for that. So it would have certainly taken a lot longer mm-hmm. than when somebody's somebody else is paying the bills. So it was timely for us to get this now, but I think we still would have made progress on this case Without the show, it would have just taken a lot longer. And the show is called The Jane Doe Murders? Correct. And that's on Oxygen? Yes. So it's still up there right now? Yeah, I think you can stream it. Are you in it? I'm in it. Yeah? Yep. There you go. (laughs) All righty. Tell me about the Glenn Penny case. What is that all about? So Glenn Penny was a guy that lived in the southern part of Polk County, and he was kind of in an inheritance fight with his brother over their dad's inheritance. His dad lived in the Bay Area of California. And he owned a number of properties, uh, supposedly a bunch of valuable coins, and both brothers were fighting over it. So Glenn, on Sunday, October 4th, uh, 2004. How do you know all these dates in your oh. mind? You have no papers in front of you <laughs> no. here. Good Lord. Well, when you work on a case as long as I did, you know You know dates. this stuff. Yeah. So he calls his cousin who lives in, in um, Northern California and said, hey, got my dad's final court case on Tuesday. They're going to start divvying up the property. And so I'm leaving first thing in the morning and I'll be at your house tomorrow night. And spend the night, and they'll go to court on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, he doesn't show up for court. And so we get called out to go check his house. His truck's still there. His suitcase is in the truck. Inside the house, he's got his Bible and his shaving kit, like the last things you're going to grab when you go out the house. And he never left. I mean, his truck never left. We don't know where he's at. He's, like, vanished. There's no sign of a disturbance at the house. And so we start talking to people. He would tell almost everybody who listened, tell the police if anything ever happens to me to look at my brother. Wow. And so all this time now, 17 years, just the other day it was 17 years, we have looked at his brother who lives in southern Oregon time and time and time again, and we just can't prove that he had any involvement. He's kind of got an alibi for... For the time where we think Glenn went missing, of course, he you know, could have hired someone to go abduct him, but we've not found a body. You know, we've kind of languished all this time. 
not knowing where to go because seemingly he just vanished. Uh, we've checked his bank accounts. We've checked his investments. They had not been touched. He's just disappeared. Just disappeared. And uh, to this day, you have no clue where he's at. No, no, not at all. And we're trying to find those answers. He's got an adult daughter. He's got a grandchild, grandson. We'd love to be able to provide them answers with with uh, what happened to their dad. So let me ask you this question then. He didn't show up for the court hearing, and his father had all of the property and the antique coins. Where did all that go? Well, it, it took a lot more years because with him gone, now his daughter becomes executor of okay. his estate, which includes his father's estate. And so then the lawyers got involved, and, and she got very little of what was actually there. So it, it probably took... It took years where it would have taken months, and so by that time the lawyers got most of the most of the proceeds. Um, so she got very little from her dad. We we actually were part of another TV show, the Cold Justice show, came in in 2017 and did this case on the show, and we actually re-interviewed everybody um, that was involved in this case, hoping we'd get some different information or somebody would say something different from what they told us the first time, but. It, it didn't really provide any further tips for us to progress on. So is the case considered closed now? Or is it just no, it's, open? well, it's still open. And the cold case team, that's really their only active case right now because we've solved the Kathy right. Thomas case. So in, until you can figure out what happened to him, to, to Glenn Penny, you can't go. There's nowhere to go until you can at least find his body or something. Yeah, that's, that's going to be the break in this case when— at some point when his body is found. Um, until then, we're just checking boxes, you know, and let's wow. make sure we talk to this guy. Should we go talk to this guy again or this person? But again, we're having a number of people that we've talked to before have now died. And so as time goes on, you, you don't have that death kind of ruins things, it doesn't does, it? It you does. Know? Wow. So until you find the body or evidence of, of the body, there's really not a lot you can go on. And don't you think that ultimately... You'll always find a body somewhere, somewhere, someplace, someone's going to come across it, unless it's at the bottom of the Pacific. Well, and we've heard rumors uh, to that effect, that bottom of the Pacific, we've heard rumors buried on private property somewhere that we won't have access to, probably. So I guess it depends on where he is. This is one reason, Detective, why I don't go for a hike. Because <laughs> when you go for a hike, you always find a body. Sometimes. I'm telling you. <clears throat> Listen, I, I, we're just about out of time here, though, but um, would you do me a favor? I could, I could sit here and listen to you all day long. Would you come back and, and uh, share some more stories with us? Sure. sure. And uh, we'd love to have you back. If people have any tips or information on either one of these cases that we've been talking about, what's the best way to get in touch with you? They can go to our cold case website on the uh, Polk County Sheriff's Office website, and they, I think there's a place for tips there they can uh there's a phone number they can call for the tip line or they can just send me an email my email's on the well if nowhere else you can find it on the, our reserve deputy page because i'm a coordinator my email's listed there okay is there a, a phone number they can contact the sheriff's office there yeah it's 503-623-9251 that's the main number just ask whoever picks up to, you'd like to speak with detective john williams okay and they'll put you right through to you yeah all righty would you come back and do this again sometime? You bet. I'd love to hear some more stories from you. Our guest has been Detective John Williams from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. And uh, we are just about out of time. 
We're just about out of time for today's show. Remember, you can catch our show every Saturday at 10 a.m. and a replay Sundays at 6 p.m. right here on Salem's original radio station, KSLM. A reminder, if you missed any of today's show or would like to hear any of my shows, you can always hear a podcast on our official KSLM website at www.kslm.news or on my official website at www.terrysaul.com. If you would like to drop me a note, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is terry at kslm.news. We'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Holmes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Good show. Bye, everybody.